Welcome to Alabama Short Stories, when you're a little behind on your Alabama history. I'm your host, Sean Wright. Just mentioning the book To Kill a Mockingbird elicits all sorts of responses from people, usually very positive reactions, as it seems to be many people's favorite book, as it is mine. The movie version tends to get the same type of response. Even if the story does not rank high in your favorite books or movies list, you probably know the story. Now, for those of you who do not know the story, let me give you an overview. The book was published in 1960 by Alabama author Nell Harper Lee, who would be known simply as Harper Lee. The story takes place from 1933 to 1935, during the height of the Depression, in Maycomb, Alabama. Now, Maycomb is the stand-in for Harper Lee's town, Monroeville, in South Alabama. The movie starred Gregory Peck as lawyer Atticus Finch, the widowed father of Jeremy, better known as Jim, and Jean Louise, better known as Scout. Jim was played by Philip Alford, born in Gadsden, and Scout by Mary Batham, born in Birmingham. Early in the story, a boy named Dill appears. Now, to me, Dill was a strange child and was played by actor John Megna. Scout Finch, the narrator of the story, described Dill this way. Dill was a curiosity. He wore blue linen shorts that buttoned to his shirt. His hair was snow white and stuck to his head like duck fluff. He was a year my senior, but I towered over him. Makem stood in for Monroeville, but the similarities didn't end there. Atticus Finch was Harper Lee's father, local attorney Amasa Coleman Lee. After living his entire life as a prominent citizen in Monroeville, A.C. would spend the last part of his life known as Atticus Finch and the father of Harper Lee. When asked about his daughter writing To Kill a Mockingbird, he replied, I never dreamed of what was going to happen. It was somewhat of a surprise, and it's very rare indeed when a thing like this happens to a country girl going to New York. By the time the book was published, Lee was well into retirement. Although I'm not doing much work at the office now, I am kept pretty busy autographing my daughter's book, Lee said. Here's a fun fact. A.C. Lee lived for a time in Finchburg, Alabama, where he met and married Frances Finch. They would go on to have four children. And now you know where the name Finch came from. Now, it is understood that Jean Louise Finch is Nell Harper Lee. As a rough-and-tumble tomboy, she prefers to go by the name Scout. It is also an apt name as she is the narrator of our story and is constantly observing and questioning what is happening around her. When we first see Dill Harris... He's come from his home in Mississippi to stay with his aunt, Rachel Haverford, for the summer. Scout and Jim think he is much younger than he is because of his size. I'm Charles Baker Harris. I can read, he corrects them. It is assumed that Charles Baker Harris, or Dill as we know him, is Truman Capote. If you are older, you can probably picture Truman Capote right now. I can see him in my mind on talk shows such as The Dick Cavett Show or The Tonight Show. He had a flamboyant personality and a distinct high-pitched voice. He was known for his wit and charm, which made him a perfect guest for talk shows, but he could also be caustic and petty. In later years, Capote was a celebrity with a capital C. He was socially connected with Hollywood stars and would often be seen at the infamous Studio 54 with celebrities such as Andy Warhol, Liza Minnelli, and Bianca Jagger. But his fame and fortune came because of his skill as a writer. Capote was born in New Orleans, and when his parents divorced when he was two years old, he was sent to live with his mother's relatives in Monroeville, Alabama. He lived at the home of great-aunts Jenny, 
Callie, and Sook Falk. Capote was fond of all of his aunts and cousins, but became particularly attached to Sook. Sook took care of the house and was responsible for Capote. He would think of her as his best friend, and he would feature her in his short stories, A Christmas Memory, The Thanksgiving Visitor, and One Christmas. Capote learned to read and write before he entered school, and he credits Sook with teaching him by reading the funny pages to him. He lived there for the next four or five years, and his next-door neighbor was Harper Lee. The two would become close friends, and Lee would protect Capote from neighborhood bullies. One day, Lee's father brought home an old typewriter from his office. She and Truman took the typewriter and some paper and set up an office in the backyard. The two decided their first story would be about running away from home. One would write for a while while the other dictated, and then they would switch roles. They would spend hours writing stories moving from the backyard office to the treehouse. In 1932, when Truman was seven, he moved to New York City to live with his mother and her new husband, Jose Garcia Capote. In Monroeville, his name was Truman Parsons. When he moved to New York, he was adopted by his new stepfather and renamed Truman Capote. Capote would return to Monroeville during the summers and be a frequent visitor when he became an adult. Capote envisioned himself as a writer during high school and worked toward that end. While attending the Franklin School on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, Capote was hired as a copy boy at the New Yorker magazine. Harper Lee graduated high school and attended Huntington College for a year before transferring to the University of Alabama. She wrote for the school newspaper and humor magazine, but never graduated. Lee left one semester short of graduation. Her father hoped that she would return to school to finish her degree and pursue a career in law. She never did. Capote chose not to go to college and continued working at the New Yorker until he was fired for angering the poet Robert Frost. He left New York to move back in with his Falk relatives and start writing his first novel, Summer Crossings. Incidentally, he abandoned the project and would not publish this novel in his lifetime. It was found in his papers and published posthumously in 2005. Capote's first novel was published in 1948. Other Voices, Other Rooms is a semi-autobiographical and set in Mississippi and features a boy named Joel Harrison Knox, described as delicate, fair-skinned, and a teller of tales. He becomes friend with a defiant tomboy named Ida Bell Tompkins, based on Capote's friend Harper Lee. Encouraged by the success of Other Voices, Other Rooms, Lee moved to New York to forge her career as a writer. She worked in a bookstore, but found her job as an airline reservation clerk was better suited for her nocturnal writing sessions. One Christmas, friends gave her a gift, a year's salary, so she could concentrate on writing what would become almost a decade later to kill a mockingbird. In 1958, Lee sent the first draft of her novel to her publisher. Years later, we would find out that this draft was for Ghost Set a Watchman, which would be published in 2015, months before her death. This novel is set from Mockingbird 20 years in the future and features a much more flawed, racist Atticus Finch. For several years, Lee and her editor would work together until To Kill a Mockingbird was created from the early draft of Go Set a Watchman. As Harper Lee's greatest novel was being prepared for publication, research for Capote's greatest novel was just getting started, and he needed help. Capote had read about the murder of a wealthy family in Kansas and knew it would make for a great story. He pitched the idea to the New Yorker magazine, and the editor agreed. He needed an assistant, and since Harper Lee had just submitted her novel, 
She had plenty of time on her hands. In an interview with George Plimpton for the New York Times, Capote told of how Harper Lee helped him with the book In Cold Blood. In the end, I did not go alone, said Capote. I went with a lifelong friend, Harper Lee. She is a gifted woman, courageous and with a warmth that instantly kindles most people, however suspicious or dour. She had recently completed a first novel and feeling at loose ends. She said she would accompany me in the role of assistant researchist. Lee would help Capote in other ways. She kept me company when I was based out there. I suppose she was with me about two months altogether. She went on a number of interviews. She typed her own notes, and I had these and could refer to them, said Capote. Lee would provide more than 150 pages of detailed interview notes, including background items such as what was playing on TV. Her most significant contribution was probably her Southern charm. She also helped the project in unexpected ways. In a small town in Kansas, the locals were very suspicious of the blunt and flamboyant Truman Capote, and they kept him at arm's length. She was extremely helpful in the beginning when we weren't making much headway with the townspeople. By making friends with the wives of the people I wanted to meet, Capote said. She became friendly with all the churchgoers. A Kansas paper said the other day that everyone out there was so wonderfully cooperative because I was a famous writer. The fact of the matter is not one single person in the town had ever heard of me. It would take five years of research and writing before it would be published as a series in New Yorker magazine. The book In Cold Blood was published in 1966 to rave reviews, but a lot had happened since Lee and Capote were in Kansas. In 1960, Harper Lee's book To Kill a Mockingbird would be a sensation. Her editors at Lippincott had warned her it might not sell well. It spent 88 weeks on bestseller lists and sold over 40 million copies. The book won the 1961 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and a finalist in the 1961 National Book Awards for Fiction, among others. In 1962, the film To Kill a Mockingbird was released and would go on to critical acclaim and win a host of awards at the Academy Awards, BAFTA, Cannes Film Festival, Golden Globes, and others. While Capote saw success in his career, including the film adaptation of his short story Breakfast at Tiffany's in 1961, the adoration for Harper Lee and To Kill a Mockingbird would be hard to bear for Capote. The tension was deep and his jealousy simmered. When In Cold Blood was released in 1966, Capote minimized Lee's contributions by dedicating the book to her and his lover Jack Dunphy, but not mentioning her contributions in the acknowledgments. The rift between the two was growing wider. Years later, Lee wrote to a friend, I was his oldest friend and I did something Truman could not forgive. I wrote a novel that sold. He nursed his envy for more than 20 years. The two former childhood friends would grow apart. Capote's writing career declined after publishing In Cold Blood. He would continue playing the role of celebrity, but his addiction to alcohol and drugs would see his life spiral out of control. In 1975, he published chapters of a book he was writing called Answered Prayers about the wealthy women he socialized with that he called his swans. They would entertain him on yachts and resorts around the world, giving him access to a world that would otherwise be untouchable. The unflattering portrayal of his society friends caused such a stir that most severed all ties with him. Capote's life took a turn for the worse without his society friends. He became increasingly depressed and unstable. He continued to drink excessively and use drugs. In 1984, 
he showed up at the home of one of the few friends who had not abandoned him. Joanne Carson, the ex-wife of Tonight Show host Johnny Carson. Capote told her he thought he was dying, so she took him in and let him stay at her place. He was right. Capote died later that month, on August 25, 1984. He was 59 years old. Harper Lee also lived in New York, but out of the limelight and not far from Capote. She lived there until she suffered a stroke and moved to an assisted living facility in Monroeville. She would live out her life there, passing away at 89 in 2016. Truman Capote never felt truly appreciated as an author, and the lack of any major literary award would only make it worse. His petty jealousy towards his childhood friend Harper Lee and her success as an author would ruin a friendship that started in a small South Alabama town. I can only imagine what Truman Capote would have thought about the success of Harper Lee's second novel, Go Set a Watchman, published the year of her death. I would hope that Capote would have been happy for his childhood friend, but we all know that wouldn't have been the case. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Alabama Short Stories Podcast. You can continue to support the show by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you haven't subscribed, do it so you don't miss an episode. You can also support the show by purchasing the companion book, Alabama Short Stories, Volume 1, featuring the first three seasons of the podcast. You can purchase it at Amazon.com, Bookshop.org, and other online bookstores. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time on Alabama Short Stories.